Hola, you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to live in the middle of a developing tourism town? Sounds great, right? Well, it doesn't come without challenges. Like most people listening, I had a steady job, lots of stress, worked my ass off so I could enjoy vacations. One day, I came to the realization that I needed to embed myself into a vacation permanently, so that's what I did. Now my home is San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua. It's a small town on the Pacific coast with a population of about 15,000 people. I have a small sailboat charter business which pays the bills and leaves a bit left over to cover my habits. And even though we call it paradise, Nicaragua is still a third world country. So picture this, 36-year-old Texas guy and his two trusty Labradors are transplanted into a developing country and they're trying their hardest not to stick out like sore thumbs. These are the stories of what life is like, some good, some bad, but all entertaining. So sit back, relax, and live vicariously through me for about the next 30 or 45 minutes. And I promise you, this stuff can't be made up. Well, I'm not the kind to kiss and tell, but I've been seen with fire up. I've never been with anything less than a nine. So fine. I've been on fire with Sally Field, gone fast with a girl named Bo. But somehow they just don't end up as mine. It's a death-defying life I lead I take my chances I die for living in the movies and TV But the hardest thing I ever do Is watch my leading ladies Kiss some other guy while I'm bandaging my knee I might fall from a tall building I might roll a brand new car Cause I'm the unknown stuntman I've never spent much time in school, but I taught ladies plenty. It's true, I hire my body out for pay. Hey, hey, I've gotten burned over Cheryl Teague's blown up for Rocky Welch. But when I wind up in the hay, it's only hay. An open drawbridge or Tarzan from a vine. Cause I'm the unknown stuntman that makes Eastwood look so fine. I decided it was time for a hammock, so I set out for Messiah, which is known for being like a small town that has textiles and hammocks and fabrics and that kind of stuff. Throughout the whole country of Nicaragua, you'll find that little towns are kind of known for their own deal. Like there's a little town between here and Managua that is known for ice cream and Masayo is known for textiles and there's Katarina which is known for uh, like growing plants and pottery and that kind of stuff. So it's pretty cool to see how each little town has their own deal going on. Jamie and I hopped in the truck and headed to Masaya. Not without adventure, of course. So neither one of us really knew how to get there. We had a pretty good idea. We knew that it was on the way to Managua, which there's three different ways to get there. And so we just kind of left, following the signs, figuring out where to go. And it worked out okay. We got to Messiah, but then we realized that we weren't really sure where the market was or how to get there. So I think we probably spent 25 minutes driving around town, cussing, trying to figure out where to park, turning down one-way roads, heading the wrong way, and it got quite frustrating. It was super hot outside. And all I wanted was a hammock. 
<laughs> and this was about an hour and a half drive and then 25 minutes of parking frustration. So then we finally get to the market. We walk in, and I'm worried that we're not going to be able to find our way back to the car because it's like three or four city blocks, and you can park on all different sides. So anyway, I decided I wasn't going to worry that we were just going to go find a hammock, and eventually you would find my truck. So we walked in, kind of weaseled our way through, and Jamie, being the staunch vegan that she is, got a whiff of the raw meat area, which in these open-air markets they have, you know, different sections. One of them sells tools, and their place will sell fabric, and then there's a bunch of shoes, and sometimes you'll have a hair salon inside the market. Well, there's a meat area. There's tons of produce, too. But the meat area that has a very distinct smell, and you know what meat smells like if it's been sitting out in the open air for more than a few hours. It kind of starts to get like a, like a tinny smell, kind of like tin. I don't know how to explain it, but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. So we caught a whiff of that, and Jamie was like, oh, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not going near that. And turned around and went the other way. So by hook or crook, we ended up finding the hammock lady. I said, I want the biggest, strongest hammock you got, and i like for it to be blue and white because they have millions of colors and all different kinds of designs. But I wanted the blue and white just because that's the Nicaragua flag. I thought that would be cool to have blue and white hammock. So they didn't have blue and white, but they had black and white, and I didn't want black and white. So I asked her to show me the, all the other colors that she had. She showed me a few more. She had like pink and black, and I didn't really like that. And then so I said, fine, I was going to get the black and white one. And then I looked across the hall, and you got to remember, like inside these markets, like there will be thousands and thousands of vendors, and they all sell the exact same line of products. So right across the hallway was one of her competitors, and also had hammocks. And I pointed down at the one that I liked. It looked like the thread was just bigger, a little bit beefier than the hammock. So I pointed, and I was like, I like that one. She goes, oh, okay. And I said, well, can you, do you have one of those? And she goes, yeah, yeah, we can get one of those. So she sends someone who runs down the hallway, comes back with one similar to the one I pointed at. And I asked her, I said, why did you not go get that one when I told you I wanted the biggest, heaviest one you had? Because it was obviously a lot better quality. And she was just like, I don't know. And then after thinking about it, I realized what she did was send one of her girls down to another hammock vendor who was probably a cousin or aunt or uncle or family member or something like that and brought the hammock back. And then when I paid her, she went and paid her friends. And so she probably couldn't get as much profit out of that hammock since she had to go through a middleman. So that's what I suspect. So I'm satisfied with the hammock. The colors are like kind of like a blue and yellow and black and green, kind of like a rainbow, but not, not a rainbow, but kind of like a ray of colors. It's kind of growing on me. But when we started out, I said, how much is the hammock? And the, the original one that I had picked out, I think I negotiated down from like $60 to $40. And so I was fine with that. I'm kind of starting to figure out that I'm not really... I don't feel like I really need to negotiate the crap out of these people because they're not getting rich. That's for sure. So if I pay extra five or 10 bucks more than what someone else got it for a week ago, I'm okay with that. As long as I'm happy with the price, I'm not really in it to beat up these people on their prices. I mean, they probably make $400 a month. So if I give them an extra five or 10 bucks, that doesn't seem unreasonable. So the price for the new, bigger, beefier hammock started out at a hundred and I said, I'll give you 70. She sat there for a second and goes, no, 90. 
And I said, no, 70. Because 70 was all I was willing to pay. If it would have been more than 70, I would have bought the $40 one. So I said, nope, 70. And she's like, nope, 85. And I was like, nope, 70. So then I said, no, that's okay. I'll just buy the cheaper one for 40. And then she came around real quick and she ended up selling me the big, nice hammock for 70 bucks. So I don't know, a couple of people have said, oh, you could have got it for cheaper, but I'm happy to pay 70 bucks. Hammock's good quality. And it's a big, strong, wide hammock. So immediately after the hammock was acquired, it's funny, but Jamie and I were both like, you want to try to find somewhere to get, like, get a little drink or get a snack or something? And then immediately we both pointed at like some gringo-looking restaurant, which is like you can spot them a mile away because they have kind of nice facades in the front. Everyone's wearing a uniform, and it just they just look a little bit nicer. You can tell that they're catering to gringos. So we went there, and we sat down, and the drinks were reasonably priced, and they they had there was no one in the place. So we walked in. They had one TV on, like, blaring soap operas. And when we walked in, they turned off the soap operas and turned on some 80s music on the radio. And I think it's funny because I, I've noticed before that several bars, if there's gringos there, they will jam some 80s music, which is fine. I, I like 80s music, but I always think it's funny. So anyway, so I thought it was kind of funny how, like, we had this intense, like, Nicaragua market haggling experience. Then all of a sudden, like, we need gringo. We need gringo. So we, like, sought out this restaurant immediately and went in there and sat down. And when we sat down, I was like, like a big, deep breath out of, like, <laughs> of like relaxation. Here we are at the gringo place where we can relax, which, I don't know. I think both of us would probably tell you, like, we don't need that to be comfortable. But I think it's funny that we both like agreed on that place at the exact same time, and we both kind of knew that we needed just a little bit of gringo after dealing with like a whole morning of chaos. So we sat there, had a couple drinks, had some, I think we split an appetizer, and we decided that we had heard that there was a Mexican food place in Rivas, which was on the way back from Messiah, back to San Juan del Sur. So we get in touch with our friend Kenny, get directions to this place, and we find it. And I'm like, I'm craving Mexican food, but in the back of my mind, I know it's not going to be good. I, but I'm really hoping it is. I'm hoping I'm surprised. But we walk in this place. It looked like something you'd see in like a Mexican shoot 'em up movie. Like we were sitting in there, by far the only gringos probably had, that have come in there in the last six months. We're the only ones. So we walk in, and it's just a tiny little room that's about... 20 feet wide, about 30 feet long, and there's a tiny bar at the end with like six people crammed up on the bar. And so we sit down in the little booth, and we look, and across the little aisleway, there's these two guys that are sitting in a booth next to each other. And they're not sitting next to each other like they're a couple, like they're not gay, but they're extremely drunk, and half of their entire table is covered with empty bottles. Half of one kind of beer and half of another kind of beer. So that tells me that those two guys are drinking different beer and they'd been sitting there for a long time. So they're sitting next to each other and one guy's got his arm around him and they're just hammered drunk. And you can just tell that they're, they're good buddies. And they're sitting there just talking about how good life is. It was so funny to see that because you would never see that in the States, I don't think. You'd never see like two guys sitting on the same side of a booth with their arms around each other laughing, hammered drunk, and not care what anyone thinks. And I thought that was pretty funny. Like that was, I just picture him like telling him how good of a friend he is and how he's always there when he needs him and he can trust him for anything. And the other drunk was going, yeah, man, I feel the same way about you. Like 
you know, we're best buddies. <laughs> if only I could have heard that conversation, but I'd be willing to bet it went something like that. So I tried to order a Corona. They didn't have it. So I had to stick with the Tonya, which is the Nicaraguan beer. It's not half bad, but when it's the only beer that 90% of the places serve, it gets kind of old. So the beer was very, very cold, which is not common for down here. And I was excited to have that. So I was sipping on my cold Tonya, looking at the menu. So many great Mexican food options. Enchiladas and fajitas and tacos and rice and beans and all kinds of stuff. They even brought out chips, like fresh homemade tortilla chips. But I suspect they were made about three days uh, before we got there. And so as I'm browsing through the menu, I'm like, you know what? These fajitas look really good. I'm going to get the beef fajitas, which actually I think it was a combination. I think it was beef and pork mixed together. So... That's probably what I would have ordered back in Texas. Thought it would be safe. Like you can't really mess up fajitas. You grill them, cut them against the grain. Sometimes they're a little tough, but most of the time they're fine. And so I ordered my fajitas. Jamie orders her vegan something or other. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And finally the food comes. I see him. I see him walking in the plate of fajitas is on a cast iron skillet and it's sizzling and I can smell the onions and then I can smell something sweet and he's getting closer and I'm thinking oh no these fajitas are going to have a ketchup sugar sauce on them I could smell the sugar crystallizing on the cast iron plate full of fajitas and he set it down and my world deflated I knew it, I knew it before I even tasted it and I told Jamie, I said, I have a feeling this is ketchup sugar sauce. And so just like I kind of explained before, they take ketchup and they make everything with it. Every kind of sauce you can think of. They put it on everything and then they call it ranchero sauce. But it's not ranchero sauce. It's sugar with added ketchup. And so sure enough, I took a bite of the meat and it tasted like candied fajitas. I was so sour. I mean, of course, what are you going to say? Like this is their house sauce. It wasn't like they made it wrong or they did something incorrectly or they put sauce on when I told them not to that's just their sauce and that comes on the fajitas and I should have thought to ask if there was a sauce even though the menu didn't have a sauce on there specifically didn't have a ketchup sugar sauce so it was my fault I didn't I like grabbed each little individual piece of meat and like banged the ketchup sugar sauce off before I put it on my store-bought tortilla so needless to say the Mexican food experience in Rivas was subpar I did not have high expectations, but I guess they were still too high. I looked for it on TripAdvisor, and it wasn't there. By the time I got home, it was too dark and too late for hammock hanging. So the next morning, I woke up super excited about hanging my hammock because I've always been a big fan of hammocks. Anyone who knows me will agree to that. Anytime the weather's nice, I've got a hammock hung out somewhere near my house. So... Ronnie was out and about, and I showed him the hammock, and I was like, hey, let's hang this hammock. So he's like, okay. So we looked at it, and we decided that I need these little brackets that nail into posts that have hooks on them for the hammocks to hang on. And so my house has a big back porch with a cover, and supporting the covered porch are what used to be logs, like or tree trunks, and they've been kind of sanded down and skimmed up a little bit and coated with varnish. So Decided that I was going to just screw into two of those and go from there with a the hammock. So I ran to the hardware store. I got the chain. I got the hooks. And I come back. And the hooks came with little mounting hardware like screws. 
So I was just going to use those. So we get back, and Ronnie and I start hanging it, and the wood is so hard that the screws won't go into it. One of the screws actually broke. The rest of the screws were getting stripped out. We couldn't turn them. So I was like, man, well, I'm going to go get a drill and some more screws. So I'll go back down into town to Zach's house. Ended up spending like three hours there. And then I come back with a drill. And when I walk back in the back porch, there's the hammock hanging perfectly, perfect height, good to go. And so I was like, man, leave it to Ronnie to figure something out. And then, of course, the gringo in me, first world stud guy, walks up to it. I'm thinking, okay, what did he put here? What's going to break when I try to sit in this hammock? (laughs) And he used these huge nails. And I'm thinking, where did he get these nails? And where did he get the hammer? Because last time I needed a hammer, Felipe brought me vice grips. Well, Ronnie knew where the hammer was, apparently. And so I said, where did you get the nails? And he pointed to the wall. And I was like, what do you mean the wall? And so he took me downstairs where the pool is. And there are some lights that are mounted to the wall. And they have like these ceramic uh, covers that hang over them. And the, the nails were used to hold the ceramic covers against the wall. And it required eight nails to hang the hammock. And each light had two nails holding it up. So he removed the nails from the wall of four lights in order to hang the hammock. (laughs) And these are huge nails that were like nailed into concrete. And I don't know how we're going to replace them. But I was like, Ronnie, why did you take the nails from the lights? I could have bought some more. He's like, yeah. His response was classic. So classic. He goes, yeah, but don't worry. The lights still work. (laughs) And I just started laughing. I said, I know the lights still work. Finding the right size nails to go in that hole and hold those lights, like it's going to be a lot harder than if I would just go buy any kind of nail. They were just nailed them into the wood trunks. But it's definitely holding. It's been about, I guess, two weeks now. And I've spent more time in that hammock than I care to admit. It's great because it's under the shade. It's always got blockage from the sun. Well, not always. It's about three hours a day where I can't, can't sit in it. But uh, it's been a great investment. I don't know if I'll ever have a couch again. I have no desire to sit on couches anymore. So last Wednesday, I decided to run to Managua, meet with the lady that's helping me do my residency, get some paperwork. I had to go to what they call Interpol, which from what I gathered is about like our FBI. So go there, get my fingerprints taken, fill out a little questionnaire. So that was in Managua, two and a half hours away. So uh, Jessica and Jamie both went with me just to tag along. We're going to look for some fabric to make some dog beds because you can't buy dog beds here. But most like my trips to Managua, I've got a huge long list of things that I want to accomplish. And then I get there, and I get so frustrated at the traffic and navigating and the heat and the smell of smog that I typically get my biggest one or two things done, and then I'm out of there. I don't care about the list anymore. I'll deal with it. I'll figure something out. But that's, that's a typical trip to Managua. So we get there. Uh, we ran and made some copies somewhere of my passport, and then we met at Interpol, which is like the FBI. And if this is one of their top security clearance places in the country, it makes me kind of nervous because there was gates open, no one looking, doors open, uh, elevators that didn't work right, people taking the stairs. Uh, And then we get up to the floor that we're supposed to go to, 
and the elevator actually worked, works going up, but then the button going down doesn't activate it. So you have to wait for someone to get up to your floor before you can go down. And sometimes you'll have to go up after that before you go back down to the main floor. So anyway, so we get up there and the elevator doors open and it's like we walked into a meat hanging facility. It was freezing cold. I couldn't believe it. We walk around and everyone in there is wearing jackets. It's so cold. And I'm thinking, is this an accident or are they just running the air conditioner like crazy because it's not their money? So we walk in this little room. People are all proud. They're carrying guns around and they take my fingerprints and then we go. But the fingerprint mechanism, uh, I suspect it's something that like something that the states used around the year of like 1970 or 75. It's like this ink roller and like rolling ink on your fingers, like your whole hands turning black. And I don't know, I haven't been fingerprinted in the U.S. in the last 30 years, maybe. So I don't know what it's like, but I would imagine that there's something else, whether it's a digital scanner or invisible ink or something like that. I wouldn't think that it'd be necessary for him to have to hold my hand with one of his hands and roll the ink on my hand with his other hand. Seemed archaic. Anyway, we did it. We left. And the next stop was to go find fabric. We get lost. We find some place that looks like it sells fabric. We walk into there and they're like, no, no, we don't have it. We don't have what you're looking for. But we have this and we have this and we have this. And none of it is similar to what we needed. So we ended up leaving there. And by this time, it was around 1 o'clock, and I'd had enough. I'd had enough of Managua, and I was ready to go. But Jessica and Jamie wanted to go eat sushi, so we went, and we had lunch, and that was fine. Everyone gets sushi in Managua. It's like the tradition. So we did that, and then we left. On the way home from Managua, well, let me back up. Throughout the country, there's random police checkpoints. They don't sit in their car, and they don't wait for you to drive by and make an infraction and then pull you over. They just kind of stand out next to the road, and they look at oncoming traffic, and when they see someone that they think should probably be stopped, they step out in the road, they put their hands up, and they point you over to the side of the road. And it's always a guessing game. They, you never know why you're getting stopped, and sometimes they don't even tell you. And I think that they have the right to randomly stop people here. So that happened to me driving home from Managua two times within seven minutes. I didn't stutter, I don't think. Two times I got pulled over for no infraction that I could see within seven minutes. First guy's stops me, tells me that I crossed the line. I can't, cannot cross the line at all. I don't know if I crossed the line, whatever. He told me that it was going to be $100 and I needed to go and pay the courthouse and come back. And so I, what I did was just maybe paid him in hopes that he would go pay the courthouse. Or whether he did or he didn't, he gave me my license back and I paid him and went on about my way. But I didn't pay him $100. I think I got him down to 20 So we go on about our way. And over the next hill, another cop pulls us over. So I told him, and the first time I got stopped, I played the I don't speak Spanish card, nor does anyone in the vehicle. Because I'd heard that you can frustrate them and they get mad, just send you on your way. So I played that card. I didn't speak Spanish, didn't let Jamie talk to him because she speaks fluent Spanish. So the second time, I was like, you know what? I'm freaking mad. I don't have time to fool this. Jamie, talk to him. So... She's talking to the officer, and she tells him, look, you know, we're sorry. We just get pulled over all the time. We're trying to follow the rules, but we've just had to pay every officer along the way. And he got all frustrated. He's like, you do not pay the officers. That's not their job. And I think that a lot of those cops assume that they're the only ones that take bribes. I don't know. I have no idea. But it's funny because he didn't like the fact that we openly admitted that we paid off the cops. 
So with this guy, when they stop you, they, they ask for your driver's license and the registration for the vehicle, which is like a little green card. So he stopped me, asked for the driver's license and the circulation, which is a little green card. And typically what they'll do is they'll take your license and they hold on to it until you pay your fine and then you get your license back. So what a lot of people do, well, not a lot of people, what some people do is they just have an entire stack of licenses that can get lost. And so you just get pulled over. You're like, oh, I'm sorry, officer. Here's my license. Okay, I'll go pay the ticket. And then you never go to pay the ticket, but you've got a backup stack of licenses. Whether they're real or fake, no one will ever know. And so I decided to do that, except I gave this guy my passport card. It's like a little card that gets you from the U.S. into Canada and I think Mexico, and I think that's it. I don't think you can use it for travel other than those two countries. So I thought to myself, I'm willing to let go of this thing in order to keep from having to make a trip back to Managua and get my license back or this thing back. So I gave it to him. We plead our case. Jamie bats her big brown eyes at him, and he ended up letting us go without a fine or anything or keeping my license. So I was pretty impressed. I was glad that happened. Typically, it does not go that way. They do not care if you just got pulled over two minutes earlier. It doesn't matter to them. There's not one bit that they care. But what they do care about is if you have at least one or more good-looking young white girls in the car. Or maybe not even white, just young, good-looking girls. And I happened to have two of them in the vehicle at that time. So between Jamie and Jessica, all they had to do was look at them. And I think that had a lot to do with him letting us go. I suspect that had it been just me or me and another guy, I would have ended up having to pay the fine to him also. June is the month of parades in San Juan del Sur. So they love holidays here. There's a ton of them. No one, like none of the gringos never know when the holidays are coming or what the dates are or what they mean. And everyone's tried. Everyone's tried to figure it out, but there's just so many holidays. And a lot of times people from Nicaragua don't even know what the origin of the holiday is. They know when the holiday is coming or what happens on the holiday or what types of celebrations happen, but they don't necessarily know how it got to be a holiday. And so being a gringo, like learning that is just impossible. So you just kind of wait to see what happens. And then if you see some signs of a holiday, you'll see people starting to set up big like shade canopy tents near the church, which is like the town square. Or you see people advertising for like a little beauty pageant that they're trying to name the queen of something. Then you start asking around because what will happen in San Juan there's basically one road that goes in and one road that goes out. It's the same road. It's one lane each direction. And this is, we're talking about a town of 15,000 people and probably 5,000 tourists at any time. And they love parades. Like they parade things to death. So the other day I go to Zach's house at like 7 o'clock at night and I come to a dead stop on the main road. It took me an hour to get about two miles. And had I known that, I would have just stayed home. Or walked. So I thought to myself, man, I'm going to have to keep a better grasp on when this stuff's happening. So this does not happen again because it was super frustrating. I did not move down here to sit in traffic. So I kind of did some research and I found out that, you know, the following Sunday there was going to be Parade Central. And so they started out at the rodeo grounds and then they parade into town. And sometimes they come back. You never know. They just do a loop around town and they come back. So then they're going to they block traffic going all the way in and then coming all the way out. Well, I hit it one yesterday. I hit it. It was coming in as I was going out. And this particular holiday is just to celebrate 
the town of San Juan del Sur. And no one really knows what that means, but everyone tells you the same thing. So whatever reason, this is a holiday just specific to San Juan del Sur. And there's lots of horses, and the horses do that thing, I think it's called dressage, where they walk and they pick up their feet real fast, and it looks like they're dancing. And so on the last day of this festival, they parade all those horses from the rodeo grounds to town, and everyone sits outside and watches. The whole town, all the Nicaraguan families just piled up on the side of the roads. So yesterday it was happening, and I kind of weaseled my way around town. I just took a bunch of back roads to try to beat the group of horses that was coming down the road. I could see them coming. So I needed to get back to the main road and get in front of them. Well, I just missed them, and they beat me, and I got right behind them. So I was, and then behind me was another set of horses. So I was by default in the middle of this parade, and I thought about just putting my flashers on and blaring some Nicaraguan music, but I didn't do it. So I'm in the middle of this horse parade, and I look behind me, and I kind of come to a stop because we're only going at a horse's walking pace, like two miles an hour. The idea of them moving over and letting a car by just doesn't, doesn't exist. So I'm just cruising behind them, watching their horses. And you know how sometimes when you see something out of your peripheral vision, you're not exactly sure what it was, but you know it deserves a second look. And so that happened. I saw like a, kind of something out of the rearview mirror, like a streak. I looked up in the rearview mirror, and I see a Nicaraguan cowboy lying face down on the pavement with his cowboy hat knocked off. Well, what happens is when these horses are parading up and down the main road, people walk out there and just give the riders beer. They just give them free beer for being a horse in the parade. So these guys just get hammered by the end of the day. So I'm sitting there looking at the rearview mirror, and I just stop because he was the horse behind me, and the horse in front of me is just walking. So there's nowhere for me to go. There's no cars waiting on me. And I'm sitting there just watching the whole thing in my rearview mirror. And I started reaching for my cell phone camera as I'm watching the mirror, thinking like, okay, this may get really good. But I never took my eyes off the guy. So he lays there for about maybe five seconds without moving a muscle. His horse is just standing there. And then finally he just gathers himself and stands up. And it took him, you know, like when you put your foot in a horse's stirrup in the saddle, you got to raise it up there pretty high. And this guy wasn't real tiny. He wasn't huge, but he wasn't tiny. And he was hammered drunk. And it literally took him 12 tries to get his foot in the first stirrup. And I watched, and I was counting. I was like, one, two, three, four. All the way to 12. Finally, when he got in there, I said, well, that's the easy part. Now he's got to, like, grab the saddle horn and pull it and stand himself up. And he did it. That only took like two or three little bounces. Like he bounced, 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 got some momentum, then stood up and got on. And I just laughed. I said, man, someone needs to follow that guy around with a camera because that will probably happen again. I don't know how he fell off, but if you fall off a horse that's just kind of walking and prancing around, you are drunk. All right, now it's time for the dog story of the day. About, I don't know, five or six years ago, my buddy Corey got a little yellow lab. And when he got it, he said, man, I want to get a crazy dog. I want a dog like Blazer, which was an old golden retriever that I had. He's like, I want a dog like Blazer, just pure heart, pure go. I said, well, go for it, man. <laughs> you might not be saying that after you get the dog. So he went out and got this high-strung yellow lab, high-energy, active, active dog. And he, Corey got married one of his honeymoons. He said, hey, would you mind watching Cutter while I go on my honeymoon? I said, sure, yeah, no problem at all. So Corey was gone for about a week, and my house doesn't have a fence around it, so the dog you know, kind of roamed around, but I had 10 acres, so the dogs would kind of, you know, they'd stay around the house most of the time, but I'd let them out sometimes, and they'd kind of roam a little bit. I'd call them, and they'd come back. So 
a let out cutter and my dogs and they're kind of roaming around. And about 10 minutes later, I call for my dogs and no cutter. And so I get on the four wheeler and I start calling them, calling them, calling them, nothing riding around. I finally hear like some barking in the background. So I stop and I listen. I say, man, I think that's him. I think it's him barking at something. So I just leave the four wheeler where it is. And I walk over to the neighbor's property, which is like an abandoned school. And I see these guys in like these SWAT outfits walking out of the woods. I'm like, oh man, what's going on? Like something cool is happening around here. And then I see one of them come out and it's like Cutter is chasing the guy with a gigantic stick in his mouth, trying to get the guy to throw the stick for him. So what he does, like you've probably seen the dogs do this, where they get the stick and they come up and they throw it to you and they put it in your lap and they'll just keep putting it on you and they're barking at you and barking at you and trying to get you to throw the stick. Well, that's what he was doing. These guys were trying to remain like low-key, like in the woods, searching for an escaped convict. <laughs> and they couldn't, they couldn't do any searching without Cutter trying to bark at their face and play with them. So I finally walk up to him, and I see Cutter chasing this guy around with a stick, you know, trying to get him to throw it for him. And the guy's like, is this your dog? And I said, well, I'm watching him for a friend. And he said, man, he kind of blew our cover, but he sure does like to play. So evidently he was barking. And uh, it kept them from going unnoticed. It was a pretty funny time. So that's the dog story. I think that's going to wrap it up. Thanks for listening. Life in Paradise podcast. Check us out online, nikasaleandsurf.com. Keep it tranquilo. Southern men better.